Welcome, everyone, to Common Table. Let's give a great round of applause to Joe and Landon for giving us that beautiful, I feel like we were just one shaker away from an NPR Tiny Desk concert, which is the ultimate compliment you can give to an indie musician. So I am uh, happy to be with you all. Before we get into the message today, we're going to dismiss our kids, our VIPs. Yeah. Casey yep. is in the back, and he will, they will be uh, tending to our children today. Okay, there we go. Miller. Oh, it's Miller. Okay. Sorry, I got, got the name Casey. I had, you know, because I have ADD, I have to do things to help me remind myself of things I'm supposed to say. So when Stephen was like, hey, man, you got to say who's, what the name is, I was singing like Benny and the Jets, but I was like, K -K -K Casey and the kids in my mind. Did it work? It worked. And the kids are dismissed. <laughs> so um, I'm, my name's Alan. I'm, I'm around here. You guys have seen me. Hello. Great to see you all. Um, I'm going to be speaking today on the temptation of Jesus. So when... Uh, Stephen and Pastor Drew called me and said, hey, do you want to speak on the temptation of Jesus? I said, sure, man. Like, why not? It's like the easiest text, right? You know, um, I didn't know I was going to be leading off the series, though. So uh, this is my first time, I think, leading off a series. So wish me luck. But seriously, when they told me uh, I'd be preaching about this, um, for those who don't know me, I'm a big kind of civil rights movement history nerd. And so I literally earlier that day was listening to a speech by uh, one of the presidents of SNCC, which uh, was led and organized a lot of the protests in the civil rights movement by, name, by the name of H. Rat Brown, who later be on became a Black Panther. Um, and he had something that he had wanted to say to this movement. I was reflecting on uh, what Pastor Stephen said last week around the, uh, Jesus, uh, that it's not about a monument, but it's about a movement. And so I was thinking of Jesus's, uh, the life he calls us into as a movement and learning from a movement leader on one of the things he found, which was very difficult um, and counter-revolutionary to the movement. This is what H. Rat Brown had to say. I should have brought some shades to honor the Panthers, yeah. but <laughs> he says, the most counter-revolutionary messaging to emerge in recent times is the slogan of do your own thing. You cannot do your own thing if your own thing is not the right thing. Right. If your own thing happens to be the thing that is not right for the struggle, then it is incorrect. You cannot do your own thing. It's no longer adequate for us to say that we will have revolution by any means necessary. Anybody heard by any means necessary? Yeah, yeah you go out marching, everybody's like, hey, bad brother, by any means necessary, we gonna... But he says, you know, uh, it's no longer adequate for us to say that we will have revolution by any means necessary. You must define the means by any means necessary, allows people to do their own thing. You must have a commitment to revolutionary struggle, and you must have a revolutionary ideology. And the truth about following Jesus is that following Jesus invites us into a revolutionary struggle and a revolutionary ideology in society that tells us it's all about us. He invites us into a revolutionary struggle against doing your own thing. Right. That's good. And so... We have to ask then, how did Jesus respond to do your own thing? And here we see in the text that we read earlier, that is a series of messagings, a series of temptations where the devil is basically asking Jesus, man, do your own thing. Right. 
First, we see that Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil takes him up to the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, kind of similarly. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. He shall give his angels charge over you. And then the devil takes him on a higher mountain and says, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus frequently and consistently resists him. And so essentially, if you think about what this offer is to Jesus, it's simply saying, if you can go to the next slide, it says, I am once again asking you to do your own thing. <laughs> Or as Bernie would say, I am once again asking you to do your own thing. <laughs> which, is what, what, which is what is all frequently asked of us to do your own thing in situations. But Jesus kind of has this consistent reply, you know, uh, continuing with the Bernie theme. A cat. Man. You know, so the kids, when they say cat, they just mean like, man, that's fake, man. Are you lying? Lies, false accusations. And so Jesus kind of is resolute against the temptation to do your own thing. He's pretty much saying, like, Cap, you lying. Stop playing with me. And so we have to say, like, man, what about Jesus' nature allowed him to respond to the invitation to do your own thing? And then if we're honest, when we're invited into this, sometimes our response looks a little bit more like this. Right? It's a quiet taste. We may not be as resolute as Jesus, we may say, hey, I'm going to do my own thing. Hey, Jesus, I'll be right back. Let me try this real quick for a second. And then you're like, man, I ain't supposed to be doing this. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit more to this, this do your own thing than I thought about. And so when we are consistently doing our own thing, not only is it inviting us into just uh, a, a form of independence, it is inviting us into tuning our hearts away from the purposes of God. Yeah. Come on, man. I'll give an example of this. This is my homie O'Neal, great musician. He's like playing for the biggest artist right now. He, he just playing at the Grammys a couple weeks ago. Um, but he used to play for our church. And so we shared a keyboard, right? Any keyboard players in the house, piano players in the house, okay? You know what I'm talking about? All right, all right. So he would play for us on Sunday. So before he was the, the elaborate and great musician that he is today, he wouldn't know how to play in all keys. So there's something on a keyboard that's called transpose, where if you can learn to play in one key, you can just hit a button and tune it, and, the, and you can play in any key that you want. So he would do that on Sunday and give me my keyboard back, and I, I would be writing music in the middle of the week. So I was writing all this music. I, was, you know, I had to sheet music down. I was writing it all I was playing. And then I was at one of my friend's house, and he was like, hey, man, why don't you play one of them songs that you, uh, that you write? I said, all right, man, let me go ahead and do it. I get on his keyboard. And I, I can't hit the notes. I'm like, oh, that's a little higher than when I was doing it at home. I don't know what's going on. And, and then I realized, as I'm embarrassing myself, <laughs> thinking I'm playing in the key of a, a G, but I'm playing in like the key of E or some way, you know. And then I realized, I said, man, O'Neal didn't put this joint back from Sunday. <laughs> and so I was playing the same 88 keys. I had the same sheet music, but without me knowing it, Someone had tuned my instrument to a different key. 
And the truth about temptation is that temptation is an invitation to tune our hearts away from God. And when we, we become so accustomed to temptation's tuning and just doing our own thing, we find ourselves out of key with the purposes of God. Sometimes you can say like, man, Christians is wild out here. What is going on? We got the same, we got the same sheet music. We're supposed to be about the same values and principles. But they ain't hitting them notes like they should be hitting them notes, man. What the world is going on right now? And a lot of it is that in certain ways, in this invitation of doing our own thing, suddenly, as an acquired taste, like that lady who was trying kombucha for the first time, <laughs> slowly, temptation became an acquired taste of them. So we're going to look about what are the temptations that are offered to Jesus and that are offered to us, and then we're also going to look and to see how Jesus was able to be resolute um, in his values. And so the first temptation, again, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the devil, and the tempter says, man, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, one of the first things we have to do, because if you see kind of consistently through this, the devil is always saying, man, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, right? And so temptations tuning, the first part of how temptation tunes us is that temptation first seeks to cause us to forget what God says about us. If you go to just the chapter before, it wasn't too long ago, just the immediate verses before, this is where Jesus is being baptized. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove on my sweatshirt and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the first part that, that when we think about the tuning process, even for a guitar, the devil seeks to make us forget about how the ways in which God accepts us and approves of us. Because when we are feeling rejected instead of accepted, it prepares our hearts to be tuned by temptation. Right. So we have to ask the question, where do you quench your thirst for acceptance when you believe you are rejected? Wow. Where do you quench your thirst for acceptance when you believe you are rejected? It can look different ways. Some people might buy something. Some people might watch something. Some people might do something with something. Somebody might smoke something. Somebody might drink something. It's always something. But the question is, where do you quench your thirst for acceptance when you believe you have been rejected? Here's one of the things the devil likes to do before he tempts us. The devil loves to manufacture a false crisis so he can manufacture a false solution. I'm going to say it again. The devil loves to manufacture a false crisis so he can manufacture a false solution. If you are believe you are rejected versus acceptance, you will find manufactured ways of acceptance. And in this society, there's always something that says, why don't you just come on over here and do your own thing? Right. So what does, once the devil has prepared our hearts to be tempted, what does he tempt us, and what, what does he try to tune us in the key of? One of the first things that we see is that the devil tempts us, tempts to tune us in the key of self-interest. Turn these stones to bread. Now, Jesus is like, now, brother, you know I'm fasting, so I can't even get down with the bread part. But it's even deeper than bread, right? It's deeper than rap. Sorry, I wish Jamel was here. He would have got that reference. But anyways, <laughs> Turn these stones to bread. It's not only just saying, why don't you eat something? Because Jesus had miraculous power, but his miraculous power was not just for satisfying his own cravings. 
He was saying, why don't you use those resources God gave you to bless and flourish others? Why don't you just use them for yourself? The devil sought to convince Jesus that the resources and abilities God provided Jesus were primarily for fulfilling, fulfilling Jesus's current cravings. And so you will see that because what's interesting is that when, when the devil tunes our heart towards temptation, he also tunes our gifts and our abilities towards temptation. So you may be in situations where God is putting you and giving you resources, giving you leadership in order to bless and flourish the community. But if you're tuned to temptation, you will primarily use it for yourself. We've all seen insecure leaders tempted to think the point of the entire organization is to protect and affirm their ego when they are insecure. Some of y'all might be in this church because you used to go to a church. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm going to tell my testimony one day. No, I'm joking. The devil will have us to think the purpose of relationships is to satisfy our cravings for affirmation versus loving our neighbor. The devil will have us to think the purpose of resources is solely self-preservation instead of an opportunity to contribute to the flourishing of our neighbor. Because when we are tuned into self-interest and we just keep doing our own thing, we begin to think that God's resources are solely for us. But it's interesting how Jesus responds. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying abundant life is not found in satisfying the craving of the moment, but is found in obeying the voice of God in a moment. That the life that you crave for, the acceptance that you crave for, is not coming from uh, satisfying whatever the current craving or the current invitation to do your own thing, but it is in doing God's thing. It is in doing the right thing. It is doing the community thing. It is doing the kingdom thing in that moment of desperation where we will find abundant life. We're going to go to the second temptation. That's going to be David Ruffin. No, I'm joking. Um, the, the def- Sorry, yeah, temptations. All right, man. Yes. Should have made a little Uzi Vert joke, I guess. Anyways, <laughs> then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, "If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you." First question I got, off rip, off the top. What is the devil doing in the holy city, giving Jesus a tour of what should be Jesus's temple? Ain't that crazy? That's like if I invite my homie Stephen over to my house, and he's like, hey, oh, yeah, come on, man. Yeah, 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 Alan, let me give you a tour of the place. We're going to go up to the front porch. Hey, go ahead and jump, man. Hey, man, this is my house, man. What's <laughs> I live here, bro. How'd you? What? What is the devil doing in the holy city giving Jesus a tour of what should be Jesus' temple? What do you do when you go to the house of God expecting to find Jesus and you find the devil? You change churches. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But this is interesting. Uh, I, I, found, I found someone named uh, Taylor Halverson, and he was talking about what is the pinnacle of the temple? Because why? of all the places, why does, why does the devil bring Jesus here specifically? And he says, and it's important for us to know, and this, this, this is going to be way too small for y'all to read. This is just notes for myself, so go ahead. Um, but if you're brave and you got 2020, you know, go ahead and try. But the pinnacle of the temple is the place was the most frequented and popular place 
of, in, the, in all of the Holy Land where people came to pray and people were seeking mercy. Uh, and uh, he says, imagine the viral storytelling that would have ripped through the Jewish society if Jesus had jumped from the most public and visible location anywhere in the Holy Land. The very location where each day Jews were called to remember the saving acts of God. Shouldn't Jesus have sped up his campaign to build awareness about who he is by jumping for the crowd of thousands or tens of thousands? Instead of instant yet meaningless fame, Jesus took the exceedingly slow approach of trudging through the dusty streets of poor little Galilean villages, seeking out the meek one heart at a time. Jesus knew that the only way to truly invite people to come to him was through humble love, service, and teaching, not through flash in the pan, theatrics, or Super Bowl commercials uh, that fill no one with hope, faith, or saving truth. <laughs> what is he saying? The devil was saying, man, I know you got, you know, you got about a three hard years in front of you. You on this, and so you know what's going to go down. How about you go where all these people are, you go ahead and jump, and they can see God's saving power in this one moment, and you can do your own thing, man. But here's the, the, the secret of what, what the devil really wanted. The devil wanted a massacre in the place of mercy disguised as ministry. Have you ever gone into what should have been God's holy temple to seek mercy, only to find that someone t- tuned into temptation made it a place of massacre? Have you ever, I remember have, speaking to a lot of my friends who were saying, man, you know, when, 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 uh, when uh, Trayvon Martin got killed, when Michael Brown got killed, I came into the place of God and I was thinking that my brothers and sisters who believe the same as me were going to say, yes, this is the injustice, but instead I heard, well, maybe they should have just followed directions. You have women who come who want to, to, to be encouraged and use their gifting and are met with exploitation and, and, and met with, with abuse and met with sexism. And then, and then say we can't tell the truth about what happened because it's about the image of our church. What will the people who are co- in, 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 the, in the public think about this? Because here's the truth of what the devil tempts to tune us into. The second thing is that the devil tempts us to, to tune us in the key of image over integrity. To say that it's not about maintaining your integrity, it's about maintaining your image. They ain't going to know you Christians by your love. They ain't going to know you Christians by your ads. Come on, man. The devil is coaxing us into public display over private devotion. Right. About getting an audience before authenticity. Right. About facade in place of faithfulness. And when we have people that are tuned into that... People who seek mercy will be met with a place of massacre. When the church is so tuned into temptation that those seeking mercy have had their spirits massacred, their trust massacred, their dignity massacred, and their safety massacred, there isn't a song you can sing, a sermon you can preach, a movie you can release, or even a Super Bowl commercial you can purchase that can make your institution survive a lack of integrity. Because the devil knows a prominent fall from grace will dissuade people from seeking the serving, the saving mercy of God. But how we respond to the tuning of temptation will determine whether those seeking God will experience mercy or a massacre. It's deeper than doing your own thing. 
This is why Jesus says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. So surely I say to you, they had their reward. Part of me also thinks that after Jesus was tempted, he said, man, if the devil out here giving these offers, let me go tell my disciples because some of these fools might jump. Let me go ahead and tell them we ain't, we ain't. Peter, man. Peter, you probably going to jump, brother. We, we don't even want that, bro. We don't even... Because the, the truth of the matter is Jesus does not need our fame or facade. He just needs our faithfulness. Right. And also, God does not have to ensure us from the ways we gamble with God's character and misuse God's resources. We are not to tempt God in that way. Uh, or to say it another way, don't make the good news bad news in your effort to make the news. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Don't make the good news bad news in your effort to make the news. So we're going to go to the third temptation. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. That brother was Snoop Dogg high. Sorry. Anyways. <laughs> Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. It says, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Third thing that the devil tempts to tune us in is he tempts to tune us in the key of national interest and the preservation of power. The devil tempts us to trade in an imperishable kingdom of God for a perishable kingdom of man. Yeah. You ever notice that the devil, you can see, you see that, 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 that as he's being tempted, he's going higher and higher. When I was with you the last time, we talked about the upside down kingdom of God and that how God says if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. But the devil often takes us up ultimately to take us down. God, the devil doesn't mind taking you up and bringing you higher into a perishable kingdom if he can ultimately take you down out of an imperishable kingdom. How much has the witness of the church in America been damaged because we tried to do God a favor by winning him some earthly power? Which, by the way, he said he ain't want. Right? He was a, you know, Jesus was like, hey, bro, I already had that offer, man. I took these nails and everything. Pilate told me what was up. And I said, hey, man, I ain't even here for that, for real. But we like, hey, Jesus, man, you should. The tuning of temptation would have us to trade in the flourishing of our neighbor for the flourishing of our nation in power. The tuning of temptation would have us to trade in the flourishing of our neighbor for the flourishing of our nation in power. And we're going to illustrate it this way, because what if Jesus took one of these offers? What good would that be to us? Why would we be here today? I mean, that concert was pretty good. I mean, Brandon, I mean, I'd be here for Landon singing. But if Jesus took this offer, what would it mean for the hope of us? And so if Jesus turned down that trade, that's also a trade that we ought to turn down. Because the truth of the matter is when you have a church tuned to their own temptation and you have part of a church that's tuned to the nature of God, the church will never be in harmony. If God's church is tuned to nationalism, we will think welcoming the stranger is out of tune. If God's church is tuned to whiteness, we will think racial justice is out of tune. If God's church is tuned to sexism and patriarchy, we will think women in leadership is out of tune. We might even kick them out of our congregations if they appoint a woman pastor. I wish that was hypothetical. If God's church is tuned to consumerism, we will think generosity is out of tune. Because the problem of doing your own thing, you begin to recognize the problem of doing your own thing when you get in a room full of Christians that everybody doing their own thing and nobody is doing God's thing. 
This is what H. Rad Brown had to say. He said, there has to be a social commitment, a social consciousness that joins men together. On the basis of their coming together, they do not transgress against themselves, and they do not transgress against others. But when we're doing our own thing, not only are we transgressing against God, we transgress against ourselves, we transgress against our neighbors when we're doing our own thing. Brother later converted to Islam, but he, I, I like the truth of what he says in this. He says, I seek truth over a lie. I seek justice over injustice. I seek righteousness over the rewards of evildoers. And I love Allah or God more than I love the state. Don't you wish that on January 6th we had some Christians that love God more than they love the state? Anyways, I can't say that. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, Matthew 4. Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, Jesus, it was like the NBA finals. What was it, Lakers versus Sixers? It was a sweat, 4-0. Just got him out of there. 4-0. I always imagine when the angels came, Jesus was kind of like this. I mean, if you don't know this meme, where it's like, oh, stop. <laughs> got him out of there, Jesus. That's crazy. Peter just took that last week when you died. <laughs> but how was Jesus so effective? Jesus was effective in resisting temptation because Jesus' heart was tuned to the priorities of God. Um, and, and when we think about it in this Lent season, fasting, when we look at Jesus, what it talks about, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. It's not by coincidence that Jesus was coming out of, was in a period of fasting that he was able to remain tuned to the priorities of God. Because fasting prepares our heartstrings to be tuned back in key with Almighty God. And fasting invites us into a revolutionary practice and a revolutionary struggle to not just do your own thing. So I'll end with this. Tension. How does God tune us? Any guitar players in the house? I know there's at least one. All right. All right. All right. Now, when you're tuning your guitar, you're essentially applying tension to bring that back into alignment for where it needs to be. Right? So fasting, just like guitar, fasting creates tension between our flesh and our spirit and resensitizes us to the places we are off key. It's just like me having to play at my friend's piano and sound like a fool. To realize my keyboard at home ain't, ain't, ain't as tuned as I thought it was. <laughs> a practice of denying ourselves helps us to recognize there is more to life than doing our own thing. Also, fellowship with other believers helps us to recognize where temptation has tuned us out of key. It helps us to realize that doing our own thing doesn't just impact us. And God's word uses the tension of conviction to call us back in the proper key so that we can harmonize with God's purpose and our neighbors in need. So in summary, if you go to the next one, if you don't remember anything else, do your own thing, no, drizzy hand, okay, do the right thing. And I'm going to end with reading again with what Brother H. Rat Brown had to say, but imagine thinking of this revolutionary movement of the Jesus movement how to think the next time we have the temptation to do our own thing. The most counter-revolutionary message to emerge in recent times is the slogan of do your own thing. You cannot do your own thing if your own thing is not the right thing. 
If your own thing happens to be the thing that is not right for the struggle, then it is incorrect. You cannot do your own thing. It's no longer adequate for us to say that we will have revolution by any means necessary. You must define the means by any means necessary. Allows people to do their own thing. You must have a commitment to revolutionary struggle, and you must have a revolutionary ideology. Or, to end, I am once again asking you to do the right thing. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, most gracious God, thank you for being an example to us, for staying in tune with the purposes of God when our salvation was on the line, when our hope was on the line, when our freedom was on the line. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent us the Holy Spirit, the helper that can help us to be tuned to your purposes, help us in the areas in which we are tuned to temptation, make it relevant, uh, uh, aware to us, Lord, during this time of Lent, and may you tune our hearts back into your purposes so that we may achieve what you have called us to achieve for your kingdom and for our neighbors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you all give it up for Alan Chipman? You know it's a good sermon when the whole room goes, mmm. <laughs> Like 20 times. <laughs> it just kept happening. It got louder, too. It was just it was incredible. Thank you for that, Alan. Um, would you all stand as you can for this next song?